Welcome to the Give Back Economy, a podcast about social innovation and social enterprise. Now with your host, Peter Miller. And today we're going to talk to Bronte Dundas and more about her in just a minute. Uh, she is employed in a place where I now reside called Amica. <laughs> and uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. First of all, Bronte, welcome. Thank you, Peter. I'm very happy to be here. And I know we've been looking to get this done for the past, I don't know, month or so. So I'm happy that we could finally get this. Okay, Brandy, let's start with your academic background. Where did you go to school, post-secondary? So in high school, I went to Bill Crothers, which is a sports school, which accommodated all of my travel. And um, they were honestly absolutely incredible with being accommodating to my competition schedule, which was quite hectic throughout my high school years. And I transitioned into Ryerson, which I know goes by a different name now, but I'll continue to call it Ryerson for now. Um, So I did a Bachelor of Arts there and then transitioned to Laurentian, where I completed a Bachelor of Science, uh, double major in gerontology and psych. So Ryerson is now MTUO for those listeners that are listening. Mm -hmm. So having said that, why did you pick those programs? Um, So to be honest with you, I initially went into graphics at Ryerson. My first year out of high school, um, I contemplated going into psychology. Uh, It was just always of interest to me. My mom's background is actually in neuroscience. So we both bonded over uh, our love for psychology and neuroscience. But ultimately, after high school, I I wanted to do something more hands-on as opposed to being in a book and reading consistently, which is what psych kind of consists of. Um, Within my first year, I realized I probably didn't want to continue in that route. And I had taken a few psych courses um, throughout my first year and realized that that was more towards my passion and, and then decided to transition into, into psych. But I've always had a pretty keen love for uh, learning how the brain works, what kind of motivates people um, individually uh, and from a psychological standpoint. So it's always been a, of a great fascination for me. And then to Laurentian, and why Laurentian? What was the program there that got your attention? So it was all online. That was my that was what caught my attention because I was uh, I was on Team Canada at the time traveling around the world and it was really hard almost impossible to actually be in class and and attend class in person. Um, And they had offered a full online degree, which was unique comparative to any other university, which was incredibly helpful for me to focus on my sports. Um, I was training three times a day at that time and traveling almost bi-monthly to different countries. And so to try and do that accompanied with school would be near impossible. Well, let's get into the second aspect of your life, sure. which is sports. <laughs> and yes. you and I share a, a really passion for sports. Mm-hmm. So take me through the steps in your competitive process in sports. Sure. Well, I'll start, like I'll backdate 
prior to me. So my my family, I come from a long line of professional athletes. So my grandfather, uh, my dad's father, played in the CFL for quite a long time, um, played AAA baseball as well, and was quite an athlete. And that transitioned and got passed along to my dad, who played professional hockey. He played on the Leafs and had a contract there. And then transitioned into something quite different <laughs> and when we were being raised both my brother sister and I um, were all put into sports at a quite a young age at two we were all put into swimming skating and gymnastics and I just took a, a natural liking to gymnastics and was quite good at it and um, got put into a national gymnastics school at the age of four and I kind of stuck in it ever since hold on age four Yes, yeah. <laughs> Gymnastics starts at quite a young age, so you, you kind of have to be behind the eight ball at a, at a very, very young age, and um, it's a lifelong sport for sure, and, and you peak at around age 14. So your, your younger years and your developmental years are quite important. You can't just all of a sudden start gymnastics at 13 or 12, like what most other kids do, and, and expect to go far in it. It's a sport where you have to start very young and stick with it for a lot of years and and but the retiring age is a lot lower so you can't sustain the sport for a long period of time so my wife's granddaughter is <laughs> spending eight hours a week in gymnastics yeah yeah uh, spending a lot of time okay yeah, so I, now you get into this academy <laughs> so mm -hmm. you're at four you did yeah. something after that what happened yes. next? <laughs> um, so I stayed at that gymnastics academy, and I ended up transitioning from uh, gymnastics, which is vault bars, beam, and floor. I had quite a few injuries. I was riddled with injuries, to say the least. Um, and I decided that I would transition to a different sport that was less impactful on your body, your joints. And that's when I transitioned to trampoline. Um, which I stayed in and uh, was on Team Canada. My first world would have been when I was 14, at, and I went to St. Petersburg, Russia, and I stayed in that until 2021 was my last competition. 2021? Yep. Wow. <laughs> that was my, yeah. So two, it was, it was a recent transition. Ago. Yeah. Two years ago. <laughs> yes. So yeah. <laughs> where, where did you compete two years ago? So unfortunately, it was still like strict uh, COVID rules. So it was within Canada, and we were obviously um, abiding by the, the rules set out by the Canadian government. But um, professional athletes and then athletes training for the Olympics were allowed to train and compete within a facility. And so I trained and competed within a facility in Richmond Hill, um, during those two years of COVID, I did have quite a, a big injury, which I would say propelled my retirement. Um, I fell back in at the beginning of 2020 and broke my foot in nine places and was unable to walk for about five to six months. And um, I wanted to come back to one more competition and then decide to, to retire on my own kind of my own merits as opposed to having an injury forced me to retire uh, so that was my motivation behind wanting to compete until 2021 okay before we leave your family yes <laughs> talk about what your father does which is kind of interesting 
Sure. Um, so my father's initial background, he obviously played hockey at a professional level and um, had quite an interesting story. I would say he went from one spectrum to a, another and became actually a pastor uh, for a couple of years and served um, on leadership at a church uh, and then transitioned into business with uh, a fellow church member of ours and sold a few of his businesses and now serves uh, as vice president for World Vision. Well, you better explain World Vision in case some of our listeners <laughs> Sure. So it's a nonprofit organization and um, they're quite well known and uh, it does couple my dad's kind of philanthropy background with our religious background. Uh, it kind of combines the two together and Again, you do need to have some sort of a, a business understanding to, to run a nonprofit organization as such, as I'm sure you would know, Peter, with all that you've done. <laughs> um, so it just seemed like the perfect fit for him. He, he wanted to move out of specific business and more into something that was rooted in our, our faith and in our background. And this seemed to be the best opportunity of the both combined. Well, Bronte, what does World Vision do? Except take uh, so, money in. <laughs> so they do. They take money in. They serve different uh, individuals in, in um, developing countries. Uh, and they, I mean, for example, my dad just recently went out uh, to Africa and, and helped to support and get money to raise for them to build different wells, help support their education, to get them through school. So they do kind of a wide variety of different things um, across the board, but I would say mainly uh, they're responsible or their goal is to raise money to help developing countries in different facets where maybe they're not uh, achieving what we would say the bare minimum would be within their kind of life. Okay, let's turn to a third aspect sure. <laughs> that uh, makes up Bronte, and that's your cultural background. Talk about that a bit. Sure. Um, so, Peter, I know you and I kind of mutually bonded. Uh, I did a presentation at Amica, which was something that was new to me, speaking about my my background is something that is a newer thing that I've come to start doing. Um, just because you get nervous to give everyone context, uh, I have an Indigenous background. I'm Métis um, through my dad's side of the family and then a uh, status card holder uh, with the Métis citizenship of Ontario. And I was not reluctant. Uh, I kind of, <laughs> an enclosed doors would help in any area that I could within my organization, but wasn't very vocal about it um, outwardly to people just because I was scared that I you know, maybe didn't know as much as I should, and I um, don't look Indigenous per se uh, to some people. So I just, and and it seems to be a bit of a, a touchy subject at times, of course, with the history that we have in Canada. So I was very, very sensitive to that fact, um, but have recently started speaking out a bit more about it and uh, trying to raise awareness, trying to help educate individuals, um, which is something that I think we could all use. Uh, and so I spoke at Amica and Peter, I think you really encouraged me actually. I, I appreciated that after my, my speech, I was quite nervous and you said some really reaffirming words. So I really appreciated that. So when did you realize that you were part Métis or full Métis? 
Yeah. So I had always known it was uh, my grandfather really didn't speak of it to to give a background on him. So he played in the CFL. Um, he was alive and he he passed away when my dad was 18 years old. Um, and I won't go into kind of the depths of that, but uh, let's just say his upbringing had quite an impact on on him uh, losing his life and um you know, mental health is obviously something that we're all aware of now, but back then it wasn't a, a very open conversation at the time and, and how your, you know, younger developmental years can impact you and your mental health. And unfortunately it, you know, it ended his, which um, we all kind of learn from now and are cognizant of now. But uh, my grandpa was open about it, but it wasn't something that was rooted deeply within the household because he had been taken um, out of his family and he was adopted into a family, which is where I get the the last name Dundas. So Dundas is not my given name um, or a family name. It's actually an adopted last name. Uh, in the family that adopted my grandfather, he served as their farmhand um, on their farm and moved as soon as he could when he was about 13 and and really got into sports. And sports was how he was able to break away from that family and, and create a life for himself, which is why sports are so meaningful to me, not just based on my accolades and, and what I've been able to accomplish, but because it really changed the trajectory of my family. And um, so he wasn't as spoken or outspoken about it as one probably would be, but uh, my dad had always known, and um, when I was, I would say probably grade four, when you start learning about Indigenous history in, in school, I started asking my dad more and more and more, and uh, that kind of propelled me to wanting to learn as much as I could about my background. Um, and yeah, so I, I have read everything that you possibly could read. I've taken courses in university on Indigenous study and on my ancestry just to try and help educate myself. I think I was telling you, Peter, I I tried to take a course. Um, it was on the language Cree, and they don't have any textbooks on it, but what they did was they got uh, a tribal leader or a chief, I should say, um, from out in Sudbury, and he would record uh, his each session of his um, course on a CD. So I'd have to go out in my car and try and listen to it and try and memorize it for the test that I would have to write. But, uh, and then you would go online and I would try and Google different different things with regards to Plains Creek language. And unfortunately there's absolutely nothing online. So it was a really, really language, to, a really hard language to try and understand with the lack of resources out there. So having said that, it yes. provides an opportunity, doesn't it? It does. I, it definitely does. Are you are you insinuating for me? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm more comfortable in the sport facets, uh, or even in like the gyro psychology facets of, you know, helping and and volunteering. I don't know if the language aspect would be something I would be qualified to do nor good at. <laughs> No, but you may be able to write something. Sure, yeah, def most definitely. I'm n I never say no to anything. Because so. <laughs> I co-wrote co a book, and there's no reason why you couldn't co-write a book. I, I, 
I, that is definitely true. You know what? This is what I mean. You were reaffirming after my speech, and you're reaffirming and motivating now, so I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. So for those listeners who don't know anything about Amica, I want you to talk <laughs> briefly about Amica and what your job is at this particular <laughs> location. Sure. Um, so Amica is a retirement home. It is a bit unique compared to, I think most people have this stereotype in their mind of what a, a retirement home is and what it looks like. And I would say Amica kind of smashes that and, and goes against what the stereotypes would be. So our goal uh, when an individual does move into our building is to restore them, to try and give them therapy, to try and make them better than you know how they walked in. Um, and that is our goal within care. Uh, and I do oversee the care department. So all of the care that occurs in the building um, is within my domain and my management, uh, which is not an easy task at times. There are quite a few um, team members that I manage and uh, over 100 or so residents within the building. So it does become challenging at times. But um, again, Amica's care model is very, very different compared to uh, different retirement homes. We, I think the, the biggest selling point I would say, or the biggest positive in my personal opinion is the aging in place. So when an individual moves into our building, they live in one suite, whether it's independent or assisted living, and they can go through all of the ups and downs that are normally associated with aging, um, whether it's a fall that then they require care for, I don't know, a month, two months, two years, however long it may be, they don't have to be displaced from their home that they've they've set roots in. So that is the, the biggest thing I would say to me that is the big differentiator. Most retirement homes, you, you move in um, and you're there up until a certain point of care and that once you hit that level of care, the building can no longer um, sustain support for you and you have to move to a different place. So again, I that's why I'm wholeheartedly their model and uh, the way that they go about providing care is, again, vastly unique compared to other places, I would say. So with this very background, mm -hmm. <laughs> where's Bronte three years from today? Uh, that's a very good question. <laughs> Something I've actually been asking myself quite frequently. So I, I'm, I'm, grappling between wanting to move into more of the operation side um, as opposed to staying in the care side of things, uh, which would be moving into an operations role. And I think ideally, eventually, um, I would want to be a general manager is is what I've said for since I've since my hire date about three years ago was my ultimate goal. Um, I love the operation side, and fortunately within my job, I do oversee all the budgeting, all of the labor expenses um, within care, and so it's a lot of numbers, and I actually surprisingly enjoy that uh, quite a bit. Um, but like you said, with my educational background, I get nervous or hesitant to, to want to leave care because I do have like a, a good background for it, and um, I can see the difference that's being made in the building and in people's lives. And I have a hard time leaving that and moving into the number side where you're not people facing anymore. What about going into a head office position? 
Maybe. I mean, it truly is up to Amica and wherever they see me best fit. Um, again, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the company and, and I've watched them develop other individuals and Amica's big thing within our company because we are a people industry. Uh, they serve their people within employment as well and, and they really do build people and educate them and grow them and um, try and lead them in directions that they feel like are best fit and based off of the employer's perspective and then based off of their management and leadership perspective where they see them going and um, again they've been amazing to me and I can only say amazing things about the company and wherever they see me in three years I probably would align with with where they see me I would say. About professional development, is there any professional development support? Most definitely. So they have a program, it's called Emerging Leaders. So um, what they do is all the way from like the very base of employment at Amica, uh, they look at individuals and, and the managers are actually highly, highly encouraged if if not, it's part of our job, but to look at individuals that we're managing and see different leadership perspectives and see different, I don't know, areas of growth and opportunity. And it is on us to to lead them and, and grow them. And we provide stretch assignments for them. And, and the goal is to eventually work yourself out of your job, right? You want to get to the point where you've trained so many different individuals and you've grown so many different people and given them stretch assignments so that they can come and, and do a a better job than you when you eventually transition to a different position. That's when you know that you've done well, but you're also not left kind of to your own merit to do that on your own. There are quite a few different resources within our company that um, they give to you and they help to encourage you and, and to help guide you in that management role to help guide someone else. Because sometimes you, you get stuck and you're like, I don't know what I should do with this individual. They're amazing in nine out of these 10 areas. How do I help grow them in this one area? Uh, and that's where I look to head office, where I look to different leadership, to my GM, Emily. Uh, and she gives me phenomenal advice uh, in different areas to help then the next person uh, that I am training and growing. So for listeners, uh, Bronte supports and mm -hmm. works and leads personal support workers. Correct. And uh, one of the resources that's available for those personal support workers is a college that I taught at, Seneca yeah. College, where Correct. they run a program yes. there. Yes. But having said that, okay, on a personal basis, does it matter where you would live in Canada? Um, so to be honest with you, I, I'm quite, quite, quite close with my family. Our, my family is very, very tight knit. I have an older sister, um, who's married with three kids. She has three kids under four. Uh, and then I have a brother who just moved out, unfortunately to Dallas for, uh, his master's and doctorate. So he'll be out there for four years, but my whole family is based up in Stouffville and I would have a really hard time leaving them um, just because of how close we are and, and we're all very heavily immersed in one another's lives. So I, I think that would be a really challenging thing um, to leave them. But again, 
it depends on the the opportunity that presents itself and if it if it made sense and where I'm going in my career or life or where my family is in their lives. Um, so I think there would be a whole bunch of different factors that would play into a decision to to leave where my immediate family is. Especially if you got married and had three kids like you should right. spare. <laughs> that would make a right. difference. So, it would make a very big difference. And then also my significant other, my husband's, you know, perspective and his personal feelings would, I'm sure, play into whatever decision I would make as well. <laughs> well, yeah. this afternoon you've heard from Rondi Dundas, who has a life on many levels and a family that's extremely important to her. So thank you for your time. It's been well, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Peter. It was a pleasure of mine as well.